0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Hey, on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline, uh, and also where the Mavericks rank overall in the Western Conference. Makes it a two-point game. There's your mismatch right here.
0: Now it's Luka. Deep 3
1: Welcome back to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Tim Cato. I'm your host. I'm always your host. And we've got uh, we've got the usual cast and rotation. We've got Dave Dufour and Mike Palucci. What's up, gents? Not much. You know, just hanging out, recording a podcast. I don't know. What about you? What are you
2: doing right now? I, I love know. how we're just treating this. This is just a, a group call.
1: <laughs> it it's always a group call, Mike Palucci. It's always a group call, is it not? Always a group call. The only Dallas Mavericks podcast in existence. The only one. <laughs> right. The only one. Only exactly. one. Yeah, yeah. I wish there were others. I mean, because I know we're not the best, but but you know, if there were others to take our throne, then I welcome them. But sadly, there are just not a lot of podcasts in existence right now. And that that, that is know, what's truly wrong with twenty twenty one. It's amazing that more people don't start podcasts.
2: Actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, would you would you start a, a podcast? like with members of this Dallas Mavericks team? And if you did, who were the two people that you would pick to put on a podcast together? Dirk Nowitzki.
1: Just Dirk by himself? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I wouldn't even be on the podcast. It would be Dirk's podcast.
3: For the record, it would be Dirk, but it would also be Jet because they just would fight like a married couple. And that would just – that would be great entertainment right there.
2: There you go. Right. Someone put that podcast together so it can replace
1: us.
3: Yeah, I, they, they're not busy at all, and they definitely need income. Yeah. so I'm sure you've got plenty yeah. of incentives to they'll they'll jump at that.
1: <laughs> Folks, we have not podcasted, which means we have not talked. We definitely don't talk at all. I can't stand talking to y'all. Um, in two weeks, it's been two weeks, so let's just get a pulse of where we're at. Uh, Mike, Mike, go go ahead. Like, all star break, it's come and gone. Luca had the most boring All Star performance I've ever seen. We're not going to talk about that. It was boring. But but the team's like kind of back on track. Obviously, we're talking uh, Tuesday afternoon, and they just lost to the Clippers, which I think is a a reminder that the team is not quite a title contender. But but we knew that. I, I would I would think beyond that. Otherwise, generally, we feel good about the team. I feel good about the team. How how, how are you feeling? Yeah, I, you know it's interesting. You.
3: A little peek behind the curtain at the writer-editor process here. So uh, Tim, before the Clippers game and I were chatting, and Tim was like, if they beat the Clippers tonight, I am fully prepared to write the you better think of them as a top six team in the West uh, piece. They did not beat the Clippers. But I don't think Tim was wrong. I think this is a top six team in the West, as evidenced by beating a San Antonio team where I don't think they were really played better than San Antonio for most of that game, and it didn't really matter. It kind of was just a good team in March performance of, all right, we have more talent than this team. We probably should just get this done. Then they go to Denver, and I mean, they convincingly beat Denver on their own floor. That was a fantastic win, right? I mean, it's, the final score is 116-103, but if you think about it, Denver opened up at a 10-0 run. So it's 10-0 to start the game, which means Dallas outscored them 116-93 to for the remaining, I don't know, 43 minutes of the game. They were in control the whole time. They lose last night, but that to me says nothing about why they can't be a top six team. That just means that they're not a top three-ish team right now in the West, and that is perfectly fine. If this team is a top six or so team, and they are above the play-in round, which I think is a fair expectation, but they are not a you know home court advantage type team, they're maybe in this four to six sweet spot, that for me makes me feel pretty good about where they are with this roster and how badly the season started.
2: Okay. So well, why aren't they that? Are, you, wait, wait, wait. Wait. Do you think that they're okay, better okay. than the Nuggets because they beat the, the Nuggets the other I'm night?
3: Saying, I'm saying that they are roughly in this range. This is not me saying that they are definitively okay. better than Denver. I'm just saying they're in this tier this is, of teams that I think sure. like they could be a six to a four seed. If they finish seven and win the play around, that's fine. It's that rough tier. You could be a solid Western Conference playoff team without being a real title contender is what I'm saying. And, and to,
1: to my sure, point, top absolutely. six means that you're... On par with Denver. That that's kind of sure, the, yeah, yeah. the barrier in that, line that we're in drawing. That range. Yeah, right. right. Denver, uh, I
3: think Denver may have a better roster overall, but Dallas has played Denver pretty
2: well over the last two sure. seasons. No, absolutely. The, the, that game, though, I think was a bad indicator for, for where they stand currently against Denver. It was a road home back-to-back for Denver. And they had like a mess up with their COVID testing. And I mean, you could tell, like, I mean, they they were off. Outside of the beginning of that game, and and Jamal Murray was atrocious in that game. He was really bad. So, but I do I do agree with you. I think that this Dallas team can play with Denver. Like this is a six or seven game series if it's a playoff series, right? Like they're right, yeah. very in that range. But there were moments against the Clippers where I thought. Listen, something has clearly clicked with them in the in the last month. I mean, they're twelve and six in their last (laughs) eighteen. You know, you mentioned the Denver game. That's a game that they should win, and they won it, right? Right, and that's a huge thing for them because that was a schedule loss for Denver, and you have to be able to, you know, you're not bum hunting there, but as a as a good team, you have to take advantage of those, right? Like, sorry, you're not bum hunting. Yeah, well, bum hunting would be like, you you know, you play Detroit, you better win. <laughs> That's
1: not why Tim Denver, brought that phrase up.
2: <laughs> De- 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 uh, college is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, Denver is not, uh, they're not bums, but again, the schedule difficulties for them, like you need to be able to take advantage of that, and they did. So it's a good win. I, I just think it doesn't say, it says more about Dallas than it does Denver. Uh, but I'm with you. I think they are in that that kind of middle of the the West pack. But I I would have them above San Antonio. Um, I don't know that I'd have them above Portland. I think maybe Portland's slightly ahead of them and Denver, if you just gun to my head today. Um, but but you're right, they are better than their record indicates. I mean, again, twelve and six in the last eighteen, as they're getting healthy. Porzingis has looked great, I thought. Um that game the other night where he had three blocks, that's the thing that's been missing from him. You know, that lateral mobility defensively. And so maybe coming out of the break, this is just the team that that they thought they were going to going to have, you know, at the beginning of January
1: versus, you know, now heading into April. I, I want to frame where we go next in, in the right way, because I think, like you said, our expectations for this team have moved on. They've they've advanced. They've they've gone from all right this team isn't really 8 and 13 they have to be better than this we know they're better than this but at that point we were just looking for signs of life now that we fairly strongly feel that they're top 6 top 7 and where they rank against portland for example that we should have a much better idea when they play two games in portland uh, right after they conclude this this clippers game so by the time by the next time we record we we should have a better idea of, of kind of where they where they sit against that team but but the idea is that now the teams we're ranking them against and grading them against is the Clippers because that is the team's aspirations. That is where the team wants to be. That is what the type of team the Mavericks want to be graded against. And so if this conversation steers a little bit negative or or feels a little bit negative, I I do think it's worth pointing out that it's all within the context of what are the steps the Mavericks have to take to go from comfortable playoff team to – playoff team that's a threat playoff team that should win a series or is expected to win a series. And then maybe even beyond that, because that, that's, that's where the team is. That's, that's what the team wants to be. So I think that one, one, uh, one story that we haven't talked about yet that, that I wrote was grading players in the classic, are they a ceiling raiser or a floor raiser? I think this team has a lot of floor raisers, And I think against a team like the, the Clippers, you see that they don't have a lot of ceiling raisers. They don't have a lot of people to push them forwards. I thought it was telling that only three players on the entire roster scored double-digit points. It was Luca Kristaps and Tim Hardaway Jr. all at 20-plus, and nobody else even had 10. And when you consider that, when you contrast that with a Clippers team that had all every starter at at least 12 points, I think that's telling, and I think you're starting to see how many of these role players are, are floor-raisers. And that's good, and that puts them in this category we've been talking about. Um, but but I think it's, you know, I think the player that maybe most represents it, and again, I've written about this, so I'm not fully uh, trotting new ground, although I don't think we've talked about it in the podcast, is that Jalen Brunson, as good as he's been, he's been a godsend. He's been so needed for this roster that doesn't have enough creativity right now. But when you play against a team like the Clippers that are just going to smother you with wing opposition, defending depth, and with every lineup, they're going to play some combination of Kawhi... Paul George, Marcus Morris, um, Nicholas Batum. There, I think there's one more one more bench player who is who was in the rotation last last night or on Monday. I'm trying to remember who. That that's also a a, a rangy, lengthy, limmy wing. <laughs> when when you play that type of team, Brunson is the type of player who gets mitigated and and gets suppressed because he's a guy who I, who thrives on small small amounts of spaces, and it's much harder for him to generate that amount of space. When he's playing this type of team. And there's only a few teams like this in the league. But that is the level and that is the ceiling. That is the the benchmark that we have to start grading them by. Or at least viewing their future. And And I think that's that's where they're missing. They're, they're missing elite creation outside of Luka. They're missing elite wing defending. Which they just don't have at all. Right. I, I think Richardson's good. And Finney Smith is good. But neither of them provide elite size. I, I guess Finney Smith to a degree has... Really good size, but he doesn't have elite defense. He's better as a as a secondary defender and and just a cog in a machine uh than, than really their stopper. And he's been that all season where even even against guards has been Finney Smith trying to s- slow down, say, Chris Paul, where Richardson has been the guy uh you know not guarding those people. I thought that's been an interesting trend throughout this year. Uh and then they they also are missing um elite shooting. They just don't have elite sh- elite shooting outside of Hardaway. And those are all three issues that they have to improve on. Going forward, so so that's that's kind of where I am at, at this team. Like these are the three critical aspects of the team that they have to improve at. It's, it's kind of like almost dyna, dynam, dynamism, dynamism, dynamism. Something. That's the dynamism, word. Yeah, yeah dynamism. Yeah. yeah, we say so. That. So that's that's what they don't have, and that's where I think they're. You, you really see their roster construction. The flaws in their roster constructions are most evident against a team like the, like a Clippers, like a Lakers like a jazz in those three areas.
3: I just think they got, you know, I I agree with you largely. I think we all agree a lot of this podcast, but it just the long and the short of it, right? Is just, you got a lot of guys who are asked to do a little more than they should. You know, I said it last time, but Jalen Brunson's your third guard. You go in the title. If Jalen Brunson's your second guard. How high are you going to go? If Dorian Finney Smith and Josh Richardson are your second and third best perimeter defenders, you can do a lot of stuff. If they are your first and second best defenders, you've got issues. If you need Willie Cauley-Stein to do Willie things once, maybe twice a week, great. They need probably three times a week at this point. And it's just not where it needs to be. And I don't know how you solve that. That's the complicated question And why NBA personnel, people get paid a lot of money and we don't. But it's not that these guys are bad. They're all very good. They're just being asked to do a tiny bit more than they should be. And when you have that in three places across the roster or more, that adds
2: up. And that's the difference between... Go ahead. I was going to say they're missing the one guy that slides everyone down a step, right? Like they literally need maybe two guys, but yeah, maybe two guys, but, but but they, I mean, they could use a, a big time wing, like starter big time, but then they need a, a true second banana or, or a true third banana depending on the night, right? Like Chris stops. We know the limitations physically for him and he's, just not going to be available every night. So you need the guy who can step into that role. And Tim Hardaway, I think has kind of been that guy this year. And that's great. Like he's been good and this is another an, another really good season from him, but again, another case of a guy who's being asked to play a role that he he's better at a more secondary role or tertiary role. Not being the guy who you know you have running second units, although it has been found money for them, and that's good. Uh, I still think that they're, they're just missing one more
1: high end, you know, tier two type player. If you had a third best player and a fifth best player and a consistently good Kristaps Porzingis, this is a title contender,
2: absolutely. But there it the, is. There the, it is.
1: The leaps between what they are now. And acquiring those two players and getting Porzingis where he is consistently—it's—it's it's a big—it's a—it's a chasm. It's—it's a, it's a valley. It's—it's not—it's not insurmountable. It—you can't cross that. There are ladders long enough, and and you can you can walk across. You can get a trapeze artist. I have some faith in the Mavericks. Being a, I think they're a smart front office in a lot of ways. I'm not certain that they're trapeze artists. And that is concerning to me. And it's especially because they seem to, they, they seem very set on just loading their free agency plans in a cannon and shooting it across the valley in like a very splashy dynamic way that was originally honest And now it's, I don't even know. It's a star for agent. And they just, they just want to do that, that circus thing where they just fire their, their next version of the build, their, their next big move to become a, to a, a title contender. They just want to shoot it out of a cannon when I think it needs to be more delicate than that and it needs to have a more nuanced approach. And, and I have some worries. So I don't want to focus only on, on free agency. Uh, if that's kind of where we we go, that's fine. But that, that, I think, is where the team is. And it's not a bad place to be. A lot of teams would love to be in this exact position, but it is where they are now, and it is a a situation and a place that the team needs to have some solutions to, some ideas about how to solve it in in the in the coming uh, months. As trade deadline comes next week, and and then beyond that, of course, they've got a huge a huge free agency period, and and that's that's going to be so crucial. That's going to be, you know, I, I think make or break maybe for the next three years is going to come with what they do next next for agency. And if they do nothing, I will be just outraged as a as an NBA analyst of, of this team. Just outraged that that the idea that they only go for, for the cannon and that there's no but they, but secondary they options I mean, look, available. I, th-
3: I think the offseason two years ago showed us that they've grown. Because two years ago, after they don't get Kamba, who knows how much they even want Al Horford, they go and they spend their money really smartly. And they get... Seth Curry in a blow market deal. They get Kleba back on a good deal. They get Dorian locked up on a good deal. They basically realize we've got to add assets. And so in defense of what Dallas is going to do, as far as we are saving our money for free agency, I agree with you that if it is just big name or bust, this will this is not a good approach. But I do agree with the value of keeping money available for the offseason because once look at how they got their two best players. They had to throw in a first in a deal to get Doncic, They had to throw in two firsts to get Kristaps Porzingis. They don't have the assets right now in terms of pick capital. Sure, you could deal five more firsts down the road and never have a first-round pick. You know That's an option, but that's not ideal. They don't have spare assets floating around to make deals like some other teams can. They have to spend money and add a free player in the market to then maneuver more with the assets on your roster. So I don't blame them for keeping this open because what else are you going to do right now, right? At the deadline, you know, we'll talk more about it next week too, but how much are you really going to be able to do at this point without having much pick capital to move around with? You know, so they've got to have some cap to go into the off season with and be prepared to spend it, if not on a big name player,
1: but just on something. The the counterpoint is that, yes, they did sign Seth, but then they signed a bunch of their own players. I I think that there is a legitimate argument that has been made out there by, by certain people. I know I've seen... Mavs Moneyball, uh, I know Josh Bow has made this argument. They could have done more two summers ago. I, I think that there is some argument to be made, and I think it's probably worth revisiting uh, in the near future, probably on uh, our website, theathletic.com. Anybody heard of it? Uh, I, I, think, I think there is some argument that they, they could have done more. Um, but, but I agree that this coming summer is their chance, that they do, uh, do not have enough talent, and they have a chance to add talent for free, and they have to make it happen.
2: not jumping the gun. Cause I'm not going to say they jumped a gun, but this is one of the perils of taking big swings is that it does cost you assets and draft capital. And, and when you do that, you need those swings to pay off fully. Now, Luca has paid off fully. That's who that's looking like a cheap trade for them. Christops uh, I think he's been really good. And when he's at his peak, it looks amazing. The issue is just not enough of it. Of course. Um, uh, I still think it's too early to even grade that trade in particular because we haven't seen what it looks like once this team and roster is fully constructed. Because, uh, like, Tim, I I don't think that they're done. I I think this summer is going to be very, very huge for them. The issue is that there's just not a lot of guys available in free agency. And so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, we're only nine days away as we're recording this from the trade deadline. And this trade deadline could be an opportunity for them to potentially grab a guy who's under contract next year or maybe even the year after uh, from one of the few teams that might be selling. That's the big, That's the other problem here that they're running into. Everyone is kind of in it. You know, there's, what, four or five teams? Do, do they like Plumlee? I mean, maybe Detroit would move move off that contract already. But – they're just not going to be a lot of guys. It doesn't at all. No, no, that's the point. Uh, Wayne Ellington is the when, Detroit player that I have some level of interest in. Y- sure, but does Plumley help anybody? That That's, yeah. So, you know, they're just not going to be, uh, there's not going to be a huge pool of guys to choose from at the deadline. So we may see a quiet deadline from, from the Mavs as they think about the summer. You know, they're going to get another pick they can include in trades and things like that. Um, so I'm just saying, like, there should be a, a little bit of patience because they certainly are – they have to replenish the war chest before they can go out and get another guy, plain and simple.
1: Mike, would you, would you throw four years, $80 million at Lonzo Ball or restricted free agent this coming summer?
3: you did actually so that is very much jumping into what i was going to suggest which is maybe their move isn't the unrestricted market it's the restricted market between restricted. and the two names that popped up to me were one is Alonzo and the other is he's on everybody's list but you know John Collins not the least of which is because in that Jake Fisher story when everybody was staring at Christoph Sporzingis' aspects including us you know we we were no different but at the bottom of that piece was that Dallas was going to be very interested in John Collins if he's around uh, I think both make a lot of sense. I think Alonzo is among the few players who could do, you know. And again, like I don't know. Do I trust that this three point uptick is real for good? I don't know.
1: Do I fully trust is that last he season is... too? It's a two year sample size now. Two year sample size. Yeah, it's it's bigger.
3: You know, you guys watch more Hornets than me. Where are you in terms of you know? Obviously, their overall team defense is absolutely atrocious. Do you do you, you buy the yeah, the Pelicans. got. I do this all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. The Pelicans. Other I love, <laughs> two balls. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you trust? I mean, where are, you, where are you at with Alonzo's individual defense these
2: days? Be- uh, I think Alonzo's be fantastic for a lot of teams. Alonzo is, is on a team that he's not going to be good for because it's not a good team. But you plug Lonzo <laughs> into a team that's already good and he's going to make it better. Like you want to talk about a ceiling raiser. That's absolutely that's what he is. Right. Um, But the the concerns I have is that the the thing that he is probably the worst at, which is individual shot creation, is the thing that the Mavs really need the most if they're going to spend a bunch of money on somebody. And so, you know, his defense is great. The obviously the the way that teams gel when he's on the court is fantastic. And his passing would be just be absolutely nuts
1: playing with it would help it would help the creation a little bit if you had another elite passer you you can you can grind out system set end of games buckets end of
2: games man like the nba is all about being able to create that look and i mean this is why brooklyn is (laughs) looking like they're going to walk to the finals and being able to create that look matters and i think that that's the piece that they were hoping josh richardson might be a guy who who has a little bit of shake off the dribble but he's just not that guy uh and I just, I, Lonzo is not that guy, but he's a really good player who would be awesome on this team. There's no way in hell I would pay $20 million a year
1: for that from, from Lonzo. That, I just a, don't think Dallas can afford it. Here's a transition back to to talking about the Mavericks roster as, as, it, as it is. I think Lonzo, in a lot of ways, is a guard Maxi Kleba better, but in the sense that he doesn't need the ball. He is a, he's a player whose strengths are maximized without the ball. That's so critical. He's a two-way player, good defender, shoots threes, um, you know, hits hit spot-up looks, so he's a threat there. Um, I think that arguably he he can help in that in that one area. And I think that's the difference between him and Collins is that Collins doesn't really help defensively you know he's not an elite perimeter defender that we talked about them needing he's not the elite shooter we talked about them needing he's not the elite um creator that we talked about them needing. kind of kind of in some ways but but i think lonzo does a little bit more it hits hits two of those three uh buckets in terms of elite perimeter defense or very good um in, in both of those things maybe not elite in either and and i think that's that's why he seems so intriguing to me but as we kind of get back to this roster itself, we saw against the Clippers on, in, in the game on Monday that Maxi Kleba, I've said so many good words about him on this podcast and on, on The Athletic, and all of those are true. I think that we are reaching a point where I just can't get over the fact that he remains a liability against bigger teams that can fluster him. The same goes for Finney Smith. The same went for Richardson, you know, in, in that game where all of them struggled all of them were not great and and i think you know just to just to focus on Maxi again a player we love we love and he is a absolutely a floor raiser and what you can do with lineups because of his flexibility uh is really valuable to a team but he has no dynamism off the dribble he is in fact he is actively bad off the dribble he he, he was better two seasons ago in last season I, I don't he's i think he's regressed in some areas in that way and i think his defensive dynamism has has slipped a little bit as well He's not making as many splashy plays, and that's the type. You know that is what you need against elite teams. You need someone who can do more than move his feet pretty well on the perimeter. You need someone who can stuff out a Paul George or a Kawhi Leonard every once in a while, uh, and, and and win you a uh, you know win you a miss shot or or block a block a jump shot. Like that's that's what you need. Uh, for for players that, that you're assuming are going to push you into like true title contention, um, I, I highlighted in, in the story I wrote after Monday a a three pointer late in the game, and then it scored a point in the final three minutes of the game. The final three fifteen, I believe Tim Hardaway hit a three, and that was the last points they scored in the game. There was a contested but open three. Claybus should have shot. He dribbled. He got stuck. He didn't know what to do with it. He passed out. The, it was almost a turnover. Kristaps ended up taking a contested, like thirty footer. It missed. Uh, somehow got a rebound. Another, you know, with the with a short clock after an offensive rebound. It was another bad miss or another contested three point look that just wasn't a, wasn't a good look from Luca after that. And if he can't punish those teams either by just shooting that shot or making one dribble when somebody closes out on him and, and being able to take, you know, make a simple read against a five on four stacked offense. Um, or five on four stack defense, whatever you know. There's five offensive players. There's a you know a defender behind him. That's an advantageous situation. But the Clippers are so long and and they're such a good defensive team that that you you need him to make the right play there, and and he didn't in that moment. Um, I, we saw Finney Smith do that. Uh, Richardson scored all three of his points uh, on back to back to back possessions. Like good points. He got two layups in, in the in the kind of shaky you know. Uh, shifty way that that we were hoping he could be, and then he just didn't show up for the rest of the game. And, and that's, that's frustrating, because I did have high hopes for him, and I'm still, like, not fully out on him, but, but you know, the signs are not pointing in the right direction. And so, you know, just just in terms of the roster itself, I think that's that's where their limitations show up. Um, very interested to see what happens Wednesday. Do you guys have any, have any hopes that, you know, it's not just going to be a, a Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis, Tim Hardaway show? It, it, is one of the players on the <laughs> roster more capable... Of being more of this ceiling raising postseason type player, outside of like, and this is ridiculous to say, but outside of like Willie Cauley Stein. I mean, Willie was great in that game the other day. He's been
2: he really good all year. But again, it's just it's the whole thing. It's it's a bunch of guys playing, you know, maybe two slots above where they ought to be. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't think they have that guy. They just don't have it. Maybe. Maybe Jalen Brunson puts up a 25-point game and, and you get lucky there. But if you're relying – and it was right back to Mike's point. If you're relying on big games from Jalen Brunson, a good player, a yeah. solid player. Absolutely. But to rely on big games from from a guy like that or uh, to say, wow, you need Maxi Kleba. Yeah. <laughs> you need Dorian Finney-Smith yeah. to step up. That's just not – it. so there is a, a, a very obvious – roster construction glare. But with that being said, you look around the league, there's a bunch of teams looking for that kind of guy. There's a bunch of teams looking for Luka Doncic though. And you've got that in your pocket. So I think that, yes, this team is, is kind of middle of the better teams, like middle of the road for the playoff teams. Um, But they, they have a really good head start. I, I just don't know where they go next because I don't know how they get there. It's not necessarily I don't that I don't know what they need because I think it's pretty obvious. The issue is they don't have the capital, they don't have the assets, and there's no expectation of internal growth to hit that either. Like I don't think any of the guys that they've drafted the last two years are going to step into a role that they need.
3: I mean, it, maybe. Yeah, I think I think defensively, give some run. You look, you're I'm still very much a believer that Josh Green is 19 years old. You know, like Josh Mm -hmm. Green could be that guy defensively someday, but that might take time. You know, offensively, that's a different story. I mean, really just you watch that game last night, that fourth quarter, and it just felt so difficult. And the perfect microcosm of that was when they do go on that run before the offense just abandons them. Right. And they close that gap. What were the three baskets that it was? It was an absurd Luka Doncic step back three. It was Porzingis on a crossover mid range. And then it was Tim Hardaway on a deep three where he had a good look, but it was still three, four feet behind the line. Same three guys are talking about. None of those are traditionally easy shots. And that's what it took to close the gap. And then the Clippers just pulled away. That was it. It was just, okay, fine. If that's what you want to do, we're bigger, we're more athletic, we're better. And that's, that's the ceiling. And so, you know, to return briefly to the Lonzo thing, everything you guys say is correct, but you know, maybe it is that gamble because this team I do think that this team could unlock him slightly better than some other ones because you know how Carlisle loves those three guard lineups. I wonder if putting him and Brunson and Doncic on the floor, you know that because Lonzo and because Doncic are bigger guards, you can afford to keep Jalen out there. Maybe there are some tricks you can pull. I don't know. It's not a perfect solution, but there are no perfect solutions. The free agency market's dried up. They don't have the picks to make moves. So what are you going to do? At some point, you got to take a swing on something.
1: So, you're not. Predicting another fifty one point win on Wednesday, Mike. It's no, just because I think it's sixty this time.
3: Oh man,
1: <laughs> why, why, don't we, why don't we why don't we settle for like a, a 41, 41 point win?
3: I think we'll manage. I think a tribute
1: hope. a tribute to Dirk.
3: Look, the bottom line is: Do I have hope for Wednesday? Anytime Luka Doncic is on the floor, Luka Doncic could do something for one night. Do I have hope that they could win at a seven game series against this team? Not right now. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote it. Yep. I wrote it, and after, yeah, I just I think that I I saw a game and a team. I saw a Mavericks team that could beat the Clippers. It would take a almost perfect Luka game, and he wasn't perfect. He was so good, kept him in it the entire game. Uh, I mean, at least until the fourth quarter, where he where he very clearly uh, fell off a little bit, or or just ran out of steam, if you will. But but yeah, like they're a good enough team that they can beat top five teams like like the Clippers if if we're going to call them that and I think in the regular season the Clippers represent a top five team um we'll uh we'll let we'll let them figure it out in the postseason but in, in the regular season that represents a top five team and that is a team that Dallas is still chasing they, they can beat them a time here and there they just don't have the roster to be able to to do it uh on a consistent basis any uh any closing thoughts from Dave before no, I
2: think you guys kind of nailed it. I mean, this is a team that is better than it looked early, but not as good as it looks at its best. And th- like those that. those flashes of greatness are awesome to watch, but they're few and far between, which is exactly what we should all expect from a team with this roster. And so, you know, I, I still think that they're going to give the The Clippers, uh, in a potential playoff series, a run for their money because you have Luka Doncic, and if Porzingis is healthy, that is a unique problem that other teams do have to solve. Uh, but but yeah, that the lack of one more guy is going to limit them and, and probably mean they're not going to get out of the first round this year. And, and if they don't get that guy next year. Is there a path to them getting out of the first round next year? Because how much better can Luca be? I mean, yeah, he certainly can be a better player. But we know that there's a limit to to how much impact one player can have on a basketball game. And I think he's up at the LeBron James level of impact for his team just about every single night. And now you got to find other ways to win. There's a reason there are five guys on the court. And Luca sets these guys – into position to succeed, now you just need guys who can drop the hammer. And, and I think getting one more guy out there that you trust to get you a bucket will be huge. And sliding everyone else down the the depth chart a little bit is going to be big for them. But
1: just pessimistic about actually finding that guy. A third and a fifth best player. If only it was that easy. Listeners, uh, we will... We'll do two things. One, we will do a deeper dive into okay, who's actually out there. I know we talk a lot about free agency as a depressed market this year, um, but but we're gonna we're gonna do deeper dives into that. Uh, in fact, even this week, I think I'm I'm uh, looking into it uh, with uh, John Hollinger on the Athletic.com. So be sure to look out for that. And next week, we should have Jake Kemp as a as a guest back on. It might just be me and him. But uh, but we'll we'll be back and we'll we'll talk. We'll probably talk a little bit more trade deadline. It's trade deadline week. It's it's hard to avoid and and then just generally get 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 some new thoughts and new perspective on where we think the team is right now. Uh, until then, uh, be safe. Get a vaccine if you can. Fortunately, I've uh, I've joined the Pfizer gang, uh, Pfizer fam as as we call it. Uh, feel very fortunate <laughs> about that. And uh, and beyond that, uh, we'll, we'll 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 talk to you guys soon. We always do. See ya.